Hello and welcome to another episode of Back to Britpop. It's me, Chris. I think we're coming up to the end of season three. It's been an amazing season so far. I've got to speak to so many great people. Um, But the well is running dry and uh, my success rate of reaching out to 90s Britpop indie musicians and band people is uh, starting to come to a bit of an end. The success rate is low. Um, So it's looking like there's only potentially a few more episodes left or i might have to start doing it slightly more sporadically um i hope you all understand but it is getting very tricky nonetheless i've got a great episode for you today on this episode i'm delighted to be joined by daniel ladler of the band tiger um daniel by his own admission does not enjoy giving interviews or speaking about the band at all so it was a great honor for him to come uh, on the show to speak to me Um, We talk about his musical influences as per normal and we talk about the band, how it evolved over the years and all his experiences with being in it. Um, It's a really good chat. Uh, We had some awful technical issues to start with and um, Daniel saved the day, basically saved the podcast by sending over a recorded file that he managed to obtain from his laptop and uh, pretty much saved the whole process. But um, it was a great chat. I'll be back at the end of the podcast to talk about all the ways that you can support it. Um, but in the meantime, here's Daniel. Welcome to the podcast, Daniel Laidler. How are you? Oh, very well, thanks. Whereabouts are you? I'm in East Sussex. The podcast is about uh, reconnecting with the, the music that I was into in the 90s and uh, bands from across all the kind of different genres as well from not just Britpop but indie guitar music and one thing that really fascinated me about Tiger which is was just how um, elusive you seemed to me uh, and how just different to what was going on at the same time. Before we get on to Tiger I just wanted to ask a little bit about how you got into music as well in the early years and your musical influences and can you remember what kind of started you thinking about getting to music? Well, I never really saw myself as a music sort of person. I was always, in, my, in my teens, I was always into six, old 60s music and um, not really modern stuff. And um, I had friends in sort of school bands and I dabbled a bit in that and then just didn't really see that it was my thing. I wasn't really a sort of band person. And then um, later on, I started writing songs and um, I realised that I did <laughs> have some potential. What, what do you think was the, the catalyst for that writing then? Was it was there any particular frontman or lyricist that you were into? Just kind of standard 60s stuff, the Kinks, Ray Davis, um, and also like um, Proko Harum. <laughs> Not that, they, <laughs> actually they weren't really, that, they didn't really inspire me. I can't, I can't really think who particularly inspired me. It was just I liked the idea of, well, being in a band. I thought it would be yeah. like, such a good uh, job, but... As I say, it was only when I actually, I, it took me a long time to actually realise that maybe it was something I could do, that I was worthy of doing. And so those early sort of forays into songwriting, what kind of stuff were you writing about? Well, um, what happened was a friend left a electric, electric guitar around at my house. And one night I started sort of fiddling with it and uh, worked out that if I plugged it into my mum and dad's hi-fi and whacked up the um, recording level to maximum and then um, tuned three strings to the same key. It made a brilliant sound and with, along with my Yamaha, you know, one of those Yamaha keyboard, it has all those drum patterns and I ended up yeah. sort of writing all these songs and these songs just sort of coming out and I thought this is sounding very good. 
Well, other people thought so. That gave me the confidence, really. And so when did you start sort of composing like songs from start to finish and thinking that maybe you would start to form a band? Well, I, originally, I didn't think I, I... I thought I'd write songs for other people because I didn't think I was ever... Because being quite a sort of not particularly outgoing sort of person, I didn't think I'd make a very good front person, which is kind of true. But eventually I got so involved I ended up being the frontman in the band. When you were looking for fellow musicians to join the band, what were you looking for? Well, yeah, originally when I thought I'd start a band, I was imagining a, a kind of almost like a hippie rock band with blokes with long hair. and <laughs> I imagined all these sort of funny props we'd have. and you know. But then I met Julie, Julie Sims, and she was really keen on my sort of demo tapes. And um, she said, well, why don't we form a band? And she kind of got other people together and it just sort of snowballed from there really. And we ended up with Tiger, which was, wasn't what I expected. <laughs> don't think anyone expected, you know. Because Julie, I don't know if you remember a band called The Warm Jets. Yeah, yeah. And Julie's boyfriend was Louis from The Warm Jets. And they had a place where they rehearsed in Spitalfields. It was like an artist studio in so they helped us a lot to sort of get going. So we got going very quickly cause with their help. Yeah. And the first gig we did was um, me, Julie, Louis, Ned from the Warm Jets. And, oh, Dido. Dido started on that first gig. And by the second gig, we had almost the whole Tigers um, lineup. Yeah. So it was only, you know, it got going very quickly. And, um, by the third gig, we were kind of signed to a record label. Did you have a kind of uh, an instant following then? Was there sort of a, a real buzz generated around you? Didn't really feel that. I mean, yeah. it's obvious people liked it. and It was obvious that we had something. And, um, you know, one one minute you're sort of like, like a sort of crap band <laughs> level. And the next minute you're sort of signed to a record label. I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't, I don't think there wasn't time for a following or anything, really. In terms of sort of that record company interest, you were you were kind of signed to Fierce Panda originally, weren't you? And then moved to Ireland. No, um, originally signed to Trade 2, which was when Rough Trade went bust. Jeff Travis okay. and Jeanette Lee started Trade 2, which was sort of affiliated with Ireland Records. For some reason, we wanted to do a single really quickly, and so... Fierce Panda, that we, our first single was released on Fierce Panda, um, Shining in the Wood. I'm not really sure why, but I don't know. It was to get to do a single quickly, because I think maybe it had to go, took a long time to get going through, clear through Ireland, I don't know. I was particularly clueless about what was going on, very naive. Um, Julie pretended <laughs> to sort of know what was going on and sort of take control. Um, and she did very well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I was sort of wary of things, but um, yeah, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen next, really. I don't know. I mean, also, we were doing, we were put in situations where we were doing gigs at weird places, and you know, you get quite a lot of hostility. And it, it's not like everyone loves you or anything, quite, quite the opposite, really. Um, mm. You get, <laughs> and also, you know, in the, in the press, it's not sort of. Um, 
No, sorry. You know, it's uh, positive. Especially with a band like us, I think. All the sort of music that was happening at the time, all the other bands that were, you know, the Britpop era especially, and just other indie, did you see yourself as a band that was deliberately going against the tide in that respect and something to, wanted to do something completely different? Not musically, because, I mean, mm. I was just doing what came out. And I don't think... And because the band was made up of a lot of non-musicians, previously non-musicians, well, don't know how to phrase that, we just did what we did. So, mm. um, but I was very anti-fashions and conventions with fashion and things like that. So that's one thing I, I did purposely um, choose to go against that, that's of the current fashions of the time, yeah. You definitely um, stood out and if, and it was a conscious decision to look, you know, buck the trend essentially, which was that kind of... Um, almost contrived look that was going on you guys just looked completely different and you and you say that was something that was deliberate the the clothes and things were deliberate because it, it was like um i did i didn't want anything to do with i i hated fashion <laughs> i still am not very keen on it and like the convention of fashion and, and the values of fashion and that was one thing i i, I was quite sort of adamant about but the music why that might have been different wasn't that we were purposely trying to sound different it was that you know i none of the band members apart from the drummer had, had played anything before being in tiger so they weren't particularly bandy type people so it was naturally going to be a bit different if you see what I mean. and so the music press you touched on it earlier on but did you have a, a initially quite a good response response with the music press in the uk I think the enemy we did. I think the melody maker not so much. I think they they didn't really like us very much. <laughs> but you know, I can understand that. I mean, you know, you, I think some people thought, like you're saying about the the way we looked and everything. I think that rubbed people up the wrong way. And I can understand, it probably did. But I don't think that was justified if they knew the the real reasons why we did it. We had a lot of people that were very sort of keen on us and a lot of people were very anti so you know you can't really tell where it's coming from <laughs> with, with the, the thing with tiger is it that you kind of have are quite infamous in a way i think lots of like polls of bands from the 90s or forgotten great indie bands tiger always appear and is it is it odd looking back at that now and thinking that you have this kind of respect among musicians and other and sort of uh, the uh, music journalists now. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, no, I can't say. It. <laughs> is it too much just to sort of admit that maybe you did create something, you know, pretty unique? Is it just because it, it is quite a special sound? Yeah, I, I can see it in some things. I can think, see, you know, some of the songs I think were pretty good, and others can make me cringe a bit. But, yeah, I mean, if you compare it with other things, <laughs> it stands its ground, you know. So, yeah, um, I think we did do some original stuff. And I think originality was always something I, was, I thought was like the thing you should strive for, really. And yeah. I think we achieved that. And the, and the sort of dual vocal uh, that you had going on with 
Julie? Would that would have been something that would have been paramount from the very beginning? No, but well, it wasn't deliberate, really. I mean, it just happened. Everything yeah. sort of just sort of fell into place, and people did what they did, and if it sounded right, then we just sort of went with it. Um, often, you know, we made a lot of mistakes, and but that's kind of what it was quite sort of organic. That situation being putting in a recording studio was it was it quite different? For obviously, you've been recording demos at home and stuff, but. Um... What, what were those early recording sessions like? Um, well, the first demos we did were with, with the Warm Jets, who had their little recording studio, and they helped us do the, the, our first demos. Then we did a lot mm. of um, demos at the EMI publishing demo studios. So we actually had quite a lot of experience um, by the time we recorded the album. They were never... I, you know, never it just sort of seemed to flow, really. I mean... We never sort of had to stop and think, what are we doing? You know, Darren Escriot, who produced the first album, um, he was sort of junior engineer at the EMI publishing studios. And um, we just sort of kind of got on so well with him, we thought we'd just have him as a producer, which worked really well. And for the second album, we did with Stephen Street, who, you know, obviously he was a famous, successful producer. But it wasn't a lot different, really. No. I mean, you just let us get on with it. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, obviously, it wasn't quite like that. But yeah, well, he was great. Were you struggling at any point to to keep writing material? Um, yeah, well, I I didn't get too stressed with that. I mean, you got, got a lot of stuff, but you know, we want another hit and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I mean. Hits. <laughs> you don't think, oh, I think I won't write a B side today. I'll write a hit. You know, um, <laughs> it just sort of comes when it comes. Really, I mean, obviously you can work hard at it, and I don't think I particularly worked hard at it. I, I didn't think that was something you're supposed to do, really, with music. You know, just work at it. But, yeah. I just sort of, um, plodded along with it, and sort of, uh, <laughs> songs would come out when they came out. And, yeah, the, you can kind of tell when something's uh, going to be popular but you can't force it was it a collective effort for you then as a band did everyone contribute to the writing mm, well what happened was i would come up with an idea then and i would record it on my little four track or where it was and um then that'd be presented to the rest of them and then they would sort of build things around that yeah and we'd work together and you know complete make a complete song yeah, I mean, when we did the last album, some songs weren't that well finished, and Stephen Street sort of had bits, and he had a quite nice bass line to one of them. Generally, though, before we'd go to the recording studio, they'd be all formed. We would have run through them with the band and worked out all the parts. And so, in terms of your lyrical style and the writing or subject matter for the songs, what what was kind of inspiring you to sort of write that content? Well, when we first did gigs, our first three or four gigs, we didn't have any lyrics. Well, I didn't have any lyrics for the songs. And I would just pretend I did. So we'd, we'd do gigs and I'd just sort of make these things that sounded like words. And often they would turn into... I'd have to sit down and you know write them in, into actual words before we recorded them. But initially they were, they were kind of about my life. <laughs> in Buckinghamshire uh, and just nonsense but 
the idea was sort of like just to give a feel of something. Oh, that's my idea anyway. That if you stuck all the words together, they would create a feel of something, and that would work. But it didn't necessarily work. And that did that sort of writing style follow you all the way through the three albums? Not really. Well, it kind of got a bit more forced, I think. I know it's difficult. I find lyrics very difficult, and I, I still do. I'm trying to write the lyrics. I've written a song recently, and it's all there apart from the lyrics. And I'm keen to get it finished, but I can't think of any words to go with it. It's like the same as writer's block for for an author, isn't it? I'm guessing. Yeah, but they the, the things authors start off as writers. I you know, I start off writing a song that, that <laughs> not without lyrics. Especially like this song I've got at the moment, it's got a real, the way that the fake lyrics go, it's quite sort of particularly punchy bits and I want to find the words that actually go with those bits. And that's oh, impossible. I've been waking up for weeks, well, on and off. With the band though itself coming to an end, what, was the, what were the decisions to sort of, to stop working together? Uh, well, um, we were doing a support for Pulp, Pulp, it's a UK tour. The, we, originally it was Pulp, Eels and us, and Eels dropped out, so it was just us and Pulp. The last gig was in Bournemouth, and it was like a really nice atmosphere. We, I think like it was near Christmas, and I just thought, <laughs> if you go around the band now, um, might as well be now. This, uh, I, everything was looking a bit sort of negative at the time. We weren't sort of getting on that well, and it, it just everything didn't feel like it was could carry on. So I thought it'd be best to sort of finish it there and then, and at a nice time. So I, I said enough was <laughs> enough was enough. And were the band surprised, or the rest of the guys surprised at that? Or did everyone went home? So. <laughs> <laughs> It was Christmas. No, I think everyone felt it because um, I tell you, it's funny because we'd just done a sort of, uh, quite a good Peel session and we had the album coming out. I think there's this thing about in bands where you always focus on negative negatives and it all feels like everything's. Oh, we had been dropped by Island Records. That was another thing. That was a bit of a negative. Um, so I, I thought, you know, it, it'd be best to finish there. Then the album would get released. But of course, you know, I was that naive. Um, I didn't realise that if the band split up, <laughs> the album wasn't really going to get the promotion it should have had. So that was a bit yeah. of a... What did you go on to do then, Dan, if you don't mind me asking, straight after? Well, straight after, I, we still had some um, studio time with EMI Publishing. So I went with some other people, Donald and Gavin, who worked, had worked with Tiger. And we recorded some songs we had. Um, recorded a few songs with Dido from Tiger and Ben Wallace from the Country Teasers. And then um, I, uh, EMI Publishing stopped us from using the studios and after that it kind of went a bit flat. Uh, but we recorded a few songs. Would there ever be a, a reunion of Tiger, do you think? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no. It's not a very good idea. I, you know, other bands do that sort of thing and it doesn't seem to work out mm. that well. I still write songs, so I w- wouldn't mind performing songs, but I don't like the idea of being old and doing 
young person's songs. Doesn't seem right to me. What were your, would you say, were your most standout memories and from the band and being in the band or either touring or recording? <laughs> yeah, most rock and roll moments. Because a lot of my festival experience were a bit disappointing. Just they didn't have, really have the atmosphere. Um, I was a bit disappointed about that. I remember Alan McGee, you know, from Creation, pushing me mm. up against the wall. Saying, you, you've got it, you've got it. I thought, at yeah. the time, this is proper rock and roll, you know, experience. I love that. I mean, there were parties and things, but I don't know. I mean, the best thing about being in a band is recording a great song and having it released. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. I was never that keen on doing gigs because I never had the, I never enjoyed it. It's too scary, and I couldn't relax. So I, I really think that's a wasted opportunity because now if I did it, I, I wouldn't be, be so sort of self-conscious. So yeah, I think it's a bit of a wasted opportunity. That really. you were championed by uh, John Peel as well. That would have been would have been quite exciting. Was he was he a big influence in what you were listening to? No. <laughs> I did used to listen to his show when I was a teenager a bit when I was doing my homework no because I just, just used to listen to sort of 60s songs and prog rock and things when I was young um, yeah but uh, you know I was really excited about doing a Peel session though really you know because we did two but both times we never even saw Peely and that was a bit disappointing never got to meet him how did that work then did you just get in did you get like a uh, delivered a, some sort of golden envelope or something? How did that how did that come about? Oh, it's a bit of, well, it might as well be, yeah. Well, you you just turn up at the Maidervale Studios. Well, this yeah, obviously going back twenty five years. Turn up at the Maidervale Studios and you go into a studio and there's technicians and you record mm. the songs. So kind of live, yeah. You just kind of in one go recording the songs. Then later on in the evening, Peely plays it. So he doesn't come down and say hello, which is. <laughs> you think you'd be like hovering about, hovering over in some sort of weird, uh, wizardy way, wouldn't you? I know. I, yeah, I thought he'd be interested in what we do. Well, obviously he was. But yeah. Didn't want to actually see what some guitars we had or anything. <laughs> you get to a point where you sort of take it for granted that you're doing another, another appeal session. Mm. Um, yeah, it's funny. And then afterwards. You know, if you ten years later, whatever you think, oh, hang on a minute, yeah, that, was, that was quite good. Dan, I was going to ask you as well: would there be any sort of particular track um, that you're you're most particularly proud of? One of mine. Yes. There are a few. Uh, I like Friends on the second album, and well, Race I'm obviously proud of because that was our biggest sort of seller. It's not my favourite song. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, lots of them. Yeah, and Shining in the Wood, that was seen yeah. quite popular. It's quite... Um, well, it's a bit punky, really, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know where that vocal came from. The vocal style um, sort of developed when I was um, playing the three-string string guitar through the tape deck. And um, I don't know, the songs just sort of evolved like that. And as I say, there wasn't any anything I was aiming for, just to make something that I thought sounded good the band moulded them into songs and that's how they ended up it, it, would there be any other plans do you think to go back and revisit the material maybe for like a, a um, like a reissue or anything in the future because a lot of, a lot of it seems to be a lot of bands seem to be doing that these days 
Uh, I don't know. We're not even on um, what's it called Spotify or anything. Yeah, it's very hard to get your music. So I was trying to in preparation for doing stuff. Thinking I've got a cassette somewhere, and I think this is I found a cassette and um, a CD or one of the singles or something, and then. This is what spurred the the podcast on going through my old sort of cover mounted discs and and tapes and everything that I had in the garage and thinking I wonder what these bands are doing now. But in terms of getting copies of your your material now it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah, I think you have to buy a CD on eBay or something. But yeah, is that something you would you would maybe look at in the future of maybe doing a remaster, a remaster or anything or could I persuade you for that or or is that something? Um uh, I'll be up for anything like that. I don't know. I mean, I'd be quite pleased if it got on Spotify. Um, so, do you own, do you still own the music, or is it still owned by the record labels now, publishing wise? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Because that's the biggest issue, isn't it? I guess is finding out where who owns the masters and stuff. Yeah, that I don't know. Um, <sighs> well, we'll start an internet campaign. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I I've had a lot. When you know, obviously, being in Tiger, you get a bit tired of Tiger, so um, and also you, you know the ins and outs of it. So maybe you know, I've had enough. Well, you never know. Um, we'll see what happens. I'll 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 put the feelers out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know. I, I I've had emails and things from people, and they say oh, I can't get. Uh, you know, where is it? Why isn't it on this? And why isn't it on that? Um, so obviously there's a demand for it but I, I don't feel I've had the power to sort it out Dan I'll, I'll let you go thank you so much for talking to me uh, this evening about Tiger and everything else I really appreciate it yeah thanks yeah I did warn you I'm not I'm not very good at interviewing I mean, that was part of the no, trouble in, in the old days you know when we used to do interviews with the press and things I'd just sit there and think oh, <laughs> I've got nothing interesting to say. No, no, no. Well, you've got let your, Julie you've say done it. the hard work. You've done the hard work by writing the stuff. Sometimes. Well, that's what I thought, actually. Yeah. You know, I thought, well, what yeah. more do you want? Cheers, Dan. Thanks. Bye. Bye. So that was Daniel of Tiger. Listening back to Tiger's music all these years later, it just really hits home how great they were. So different uh, to my ears then and now, and a shame that you just can't get your hands on it or stream it as we were talking about in the interview um, hopefully in the future that's something that will change i must say thanks again to daniel for saving the episode as well and sending me that file uh, he was a lifesaver because we had some awful issues to start with that seemed to be coming from my end not his by the way so this is the boring bit if you're still with me uh, there's loads of ways you can support this podcast and the first one is follow me on social media. So you can search for Back to Britpop on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook and I'll be there. If you want to say thank you and buy me a coffee, uh, you can do that as well. Those little donations really help just run this podcast and get it released onto the streaming platforms. So there's a coffee or Ko-Fi donation page and the link to that is in the show notes. And if you're one of those people that haven't rated or written a short review for this podcast, you would be doing me a great favour if you could just press that little button and do that for me, because it really helps. Thank you for listening, and sorry for waffling and doing the whole begging ritual thing every week. I know it's boring. Hopefully I'll be back in the next couple of weeks with another episode. Who knows? 
if things come together then it will happen if they don't you may have to wait a little bit longer but thank you for your patience and thank you for your support see you soon